Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MZ Car Guys Podcast. You can reach us on all the social media at MZ Car Guys. Or you can drop us a line at mzcarguys at gmail.com. That would be fantastic and wonderful if you actually did do that. Anyways, so I think we're starting to wind it down a little bit um, because we're to the point of uh, we're now talking about uh, the drivers today. So the guys actually behind the wheel moving these things along. Um, Sound good, Matt? Let's do it. All right. So, um, so going into this, um, kind of looking at the, uh, the different drivers and stuff. Um, I, I, cause, because if you try to start talking about all of the drivers for, um, you know, whoever won or anything like that, there's a ton of them. Um, so I think going into it with um, some of the drivers who uh, actually participated um, in the uh, in the 2000 and or sorry in the 1966 Le Mans. Uh, I think. What, what do you think, Matt? Should we do that or just do all of them? Well, <clears throat> pardon me while I cough my lungs out. No I, I read uh, a review today um, in Motor Trend magazine about the, the film um, because journalists and, and what they were saying was that the only driver who really factors in the film is Ken Miles. And one of the really bothersome things to a car nerd like the reviewer is that Ken Miles had a co-driver and the two drivers both drove for 12 total hours. So they were both equally responsible for what happened, but Ken Miles is the one who gets all the screen time, which is who was played by Christian Bale. Yeah. So I think the if you take away nothing else from this discussion today, and I don't expect you to take much, is there was a lot more to that race than Ken Miles. Yes, he was incredibly important. Yes, he was an he was historically skilled race car driver but there was more to it than just, just Ken and some Italian guy in a red car. Yeah. And, and, and I think I want to kind of point that out is that even though, yeah, Ken miles was very influential in the development of the car. Cause he was, <clears throat> I believe he was um, the guy who was involved. He, he was the, 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 the test driver <coughs> for the car and, and, in, in the development of it, you know, through the Mark one, two and three, four. Um, well actually no, from the Mark, I think from the Mark one to, I think he only was alive until the Mark three because, um, he was, what was it? There was the, the, the J car and I believe it's the J car he was driving uh when he died so hate to put a downer on everything um you know that's but I mean, the he, or nothing yeah well i mean and and that's that's what's very 
very uh very kind of the 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 downer part of it is the fact that he he never got to see, he 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 saw Ford win the 66 Le Mans but never got to really see the true fruits of his labor of of what he and Lee Iacocca and Carroll Shelby with you know the pockets of Henry Ford II, what they were able to accomplish. I mean, four years in a row dominating Ferrari and and really just dominating um, you know endurance racing for for that amount of time, which is just tremendous. So. Go ahead and talk, Matt, while I look up some stuff here. <laughs> Way to put me on the spot. But yep. <clears throat> okay, so here's for for anyone who's actually watched any racing of any significance in the past 20, 30 years, one of the biggest changes was that I don't know when the change happened exactly, but I'm sure it was an evolutionary thing, is that it used to be two drivers per car. You would have a guy who would go out and he would be out on the track for typically six hours. And he would come in and then they would switch, you know, tires, gas, maybe brake pads, new driver. The guy goes out, he does his stint. The other driver is going to try to rest as best he can, but there's so much adrenaline. He's probably not going to rest very much. He's just going to kind of be not driving essentially um and so you'd have two guys who raced for 12 hours each essentially on little or no sleep in one of the most strenuous races on the planet and you'd have changing weather conditions and you'd have cars that yeah they got faster at night because the air was cooler was cooler and thicker and but on the flip side of that you might have tremendous rainstorms i mean you could have and the track is so big, you could have one part that was wet and one part that was dry, so you never knew which tires to use. All yeah. these variables that would come in. We already talked about how you'd have incredibly fast cars, not such fast cars, all on the same track, competing in their own category against each other, but <clears throat> but sharing one one big piece of, of track. Um, but what gradually happened, they started to realize that, you know what, just for overall driver health, and for the safety of everyone involved, three drivers makes a lot more sense. And so last I heard, you in a 24-hour race, you basically would have each driver would do two four-hour stints. Yes. And he's done. And he, and he's done. That's, that's his contribution, or, or hers, but typically his contribution to the race. And you each do the very best you can. You just strategize who goes when and you know that whole thing and, and what part of the race you do your stint and it could be midnight to 4 a.m. or or who knows what. But that created a lot more, A, ability for the drivers to rest, but also be mentally sharp. So you, you reactions are quicker, you brake quicker, you're more aware of what's going on, less wrecks, less deaths, more cars finishing the race, all things that, that are really important. You don't think about it until you do the math, but it is. Going from two drivers to three is a huge difference in terms of track time and safety on the track yeah well and it's it's one of the things that i was i was listening to um or that i really kind of came away with by watching um 
the uh, the 24-hour war documentary um or sorry the documentary 24-hour war um was it was it was so hard racing for that long you know racing for 12 hours or however long it was yeah two six Um, hour stints yeah yeah two six hour stints because you would go out there and be racing for six hours the problem is is that you would be so buzzed you'd be so just hyper vigilant and active and so forth about what your what your co-driver was doing you didn't sleep you couldn't fall asleep yeah so you know i mean it's just it's one of those things where you're just like yeah i i I gotta you know i I can't sleep therefore i'm just gonna stay up and stuff yeah and spent the whole time you know either trying to listen on one of the engineers or you know one of the guys radios what's going on with the track or or listening to the race official radio or sitting in a corner and just being bored out of your skull because it's it's hard to do nothing for six hours because you have no job that's it yeah i mean yeah and i mean nowadays it's it's easy because there's a lot of sensors on the car and so you can just kind of identify what's going on and stuff and you're only in it for four hours Right, and your real-time standing, so you know exactly where everybody is on the track, how they're doing, what their fastest lap was, what they're pacing for, and so on and so forth. So, well, the other part of it is also your your co your co driver is because as you go throughout, you know the you know throughout the race, sometimes something starts to get loose, or you know something's not quite right, or something like that. So you're having to listen. For your co-driver to kind of explain okay hey i'm feeling this i don't think it's going to go well so when you get in it just make sure you know hey it, it's 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 wanting to stick in second or something like that you know right, right. <clears throat> which on a four-speed transmission like the force was a big deal yeah i was just thinking that too you know at least in a five-speed exactly. you've got a little more leeway and like that's like the ferraris had yeah. Man. Yeah, four gears is not a lot of room to work with in any transmission, especially in a race situation. I mean, we yeah. won't we won't today we won't get into why why the V eight can work with a four speed where a V twelve can't, but but there's some very structural and engineering reasons behind that. Um, so but, let's start um, talking about some of the drivers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna so moving beyond Ken Miles. Well, let's let's save Ken Miles for for the last person that we that we talk about, because um, I because even though he is in the in the movie, he is integral to the movie itself. So, um, so let's uh, start with let's let's start with Bruce McLaren. So Bruce McLaren is technically he is the driver that he was the main driver, uh, him and uh, Chris Amon. Um, were the were, were the drivers who won the first you know the the sixty six Le Mans in the GT forty. So you know, and and Bruce McLaren has. Um, it, it's it's interesting because. He he didn't live very long. He only lived to the age of thirty two. Uh, he he died in nineteen seventy in a crash, but his company his, his the, the racing company that he developed and, and put together is still going strong today 
and the comp and the car company McLaren that came after it. Uh, I mean, is basically everything is from his efforts, um, and really just kind of, you know, he was racing in, you know, in uh, in just these little bitty cars and stuff, and racing in Grand Prix, um, and Can't then. Help. No, 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 Grand Grand Prix racing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Grand Am. Um I said can, but that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, Can Am racing and stuff like that. You know, and so he he was he was most six of you know, his his the McLaren team, um it's it's been one of the most successful Formula One teams in history, um, right up there with Ferrari. Uh, I mean, they have they have eight World Constructor Championships and twelve World Driver Championships in Formula One. So that ain't too shabby. Yeah, that's a really big deal. Yeah. So. Um, but the other thing is, is that he was pretty, uh, prolific. I mean, he, he won three Indianapolis 500s, uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans, um, and a 12 hours of Sebring. So pretty, (laughs) you know, pretty, pretty good race car driver himself. Um, once again, a lot like. Carol Shelby, you know, not Carol Shelby wasn't as successful as Bruce McLaren. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, he's from Auckland, New Zealand, way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, you know, being able to put all of that together, um, you know, now, he he passed away uh, in 1970, um, in uh, on on the Goodwood Circle circuit, um, and uh, he, he was driving a Can Am car, um, you know. So, but his his legacy, and, and I'm reading this from Wikipedia. Um, I've already talked about how many uh, constructors championships and driver championships they have. A bunch of stuff is named after him. Um, He's uh, class of 1991. He was international motorsports hall of fame. Um, uh, And then of course, you know, America has to have their own thing. Uh, So we have a motorsports hall of fame. Um, so it's just it's just interesting how of a race car driver he was and just the legacy of him um you know later on with the the company that we know and love today and that's you know McLaren <laughs> well and and it's it's worth noting too that let's not skip over this the fact that this 
this company that that he built that originally wasn't a road car company it was a partnership with an engineer which with an engine firm that you may have heard of called honda and they built some f1 cars that did pretty well but yeah they were okay despite all the incredible things that bruce did as a as a racer what he really became known for was it as an as a race engineer uh he took a lot of what he learned in in f1 um well well, sorry a lot of what he learned in racing and then and then applied that to whatever car he was in at the time and then he built up a group of guys around him who could take that and bring it forward so I don't know when carbon fiber tub started in F1, but the McLaren F1 in the nineties, which obviously was after him, but he was, that idea came out of the race cars. It was taking a race car idea and put it into a road car. You know, it was, that's pretty incredible. And then that's, and and the fact that that car came out in early nineties, let's say, as I remember correctly, early to mid nineties. Right, and then twenty-five yeah. years later, the McLaren road cars are still using a carbon fiber tub with a V8 engine, not a V12, but still twin-turbo V8 engine behind the driver, and they're incredible. They're they're lauded as being among the best road cars you can buy today. Yeah, absolutely. Now his his co-driver uh, was uh, Chris Amon. Uh, also from New Zealand. I don't know what's up with these New Zealanders. They like the but, um, Yeah, but he was the uh, he was his co-driver. Now, funny thing is, um, evidently, I guess he had a reputation for bad luck, um, and <laughs> I I don't understand. Um, I'm I'm not familiar enough with him uh, to know what the joke is, um, but um, his uh, his reputation for bad luck was such that fellow driver Mario Andretti Andretti once joked that if he became an undertaker, people would stop dying. Wow, which is hilarious. Um, former Ferrari technical director uh, Mauro last name I'm still not going to try it yeah um, stated that Amon was by far the best test driver I have ever worked with he had all the qualities to be a world champion but bad luck just wouldn't let him be hmm but he was good enough that he and Bruce McLaren won the 24 hours and ones in 66. Um, now that was due to a, uh, a slight posturing by Henry Ford, the second, not understanding <laughs> how things worked. Um, so, cause it really should have been Ken miles. Um, uh, Ken miles right. and, uh, Denny, Denny, uh, who, hold on, I'm going to pronounce his last name correct. Um, okay, no, I'm not. H-U-L-M-E, how would you pronounce oh, that? Oh, home. Home. Oh, home, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, Denny Home. Yeah, so Denny Home. 
So, oh, I'm sorry, Denny Holm OBE. Oh, Order of the British Empire. Yeah, Order of the British Empire. Good for him. Um, So, in case someone didn't catch one of our previous podcasts, so the reason that Ken Miles didn't win Lamont that year is because (coughs) Henry Ford II took his team and said, I want to have this great parade style finish where you guys do a staggered finish and Ken, I need you to slow down for the finish so the other two cars can catch up because you're way ahead of everybody else and you're all going to finish like essentially one car length behind the other guy but staggered off to one side, right? So it's got like a beautiful like fighter jet flying in formation kind of look to it. Yeah, but he really failed to, yeah, beautiful, great shot, you know, great, great photograph. But he failed to calculate the fact that Bruce and Chris started further back on the grid than everyone else and therefore traveled a farther distance in the same amount of time than everyone else and therefore they won the race. Yeah, because in Le Mans... Ken was ordered to slow down to make that happen. Yeah, well, because in Le Mans, it's not... It's not how many laps you complete. It's who drives the furthest in 24 hours. Right. It's how many kilometers you drive. Exactly. So. There you are. You know, so if you and I walk side by side, but yet I was two feet behind you. Boom. You win. Not me. So. Yep. So anyways. So. Chris Amon, um, a good race car driver and so forth. Um, still, uh, you know, he uh, died uh, 2016 at age 73. Had a really good life. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. 63 is... Or, sorry, 70 is, yeah, 73 is nothing to nothing to scoff at. So, For a race car uh, driver, two lifetimes worth. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, he's um, he's one heck of a driver. Um, you know, finishing, you know, pretty high up there. You know, throughout. Um, next, um, we'll talk about uh, Ken Miles's co-driver, uh, Denny Hume. Home. Home, sorry. Um, he is also from New Zealand. Did they just grab everybody from New Zealand? I'm just curious. Well, I'm <laughs> guessing they don't grow very tall over there, so they don't weigh very much, which definitely helps. And if you're into motorsport your whole life, because I've heard there's not a whole lot to do over there. Like they don't have exactly a you know a raft worth of worth of activities available. But um, you know, there's still a big motorsport country they don't produce any cars of their own but man they know how to import the right stuff and the roads are amazing yeah. i haven't been but I footage. yeah well he he was also a very good formula one driver um uh he um he uh now he died at age 56 um so Pretty good. Hold on. Um, do, 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 do. 
Um, do you have any, by the way, do you have any data there about whether any of the drivers change co-drivers over the course of the, uh, the, the four years that they won? I, I don't. I was, I, I was actually only looking at uh, the 1966 one. Okay. Um, I got so, the impression anyway. some of the drivers did change over the course of the four years, so. Oh, wow. Okay, so Hume, our home, home uh, he suffered a massive heart attack while driving. Wow. Uh, after veering into the wall on the left side of the track at about 140 miles an hour, 230 kilometers an hour for those of you elsewhere in the world. Uh, he was able to bring it to a relatively controlled stop uh, sliding against a safety rail. Um, but when they found him, uh, he was basically still strapped in. Um, they took him to the hospital where he was pronounced, you know, dead on arrival. So, um, but still racing at 56, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, now I, and I didn't know this, I, I knew there was the race, but I didn't know what the, what the, what the cup was, what the trophy was called. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the target Tasmania, which is just a bonkers race. Um, uh, if you ever want to watch another good uh, documentary, uh, uh, love, uh, was it love the beast? Um, something with, like that. Uh, yeah. Um, with uh, uh, Eric Banner. Eric Banna, um, he goes into it and, and he's doing the, 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 the target Tasmania in a, in a car of his that he grew up with. Um, also, he has, if you ever get a chance, uh, watching Eric Banna's interview with Jeremy Clarkson, the full interview, <coughs> one of the best, uh, you know, car things you, you'll, you'll ever see. <coughs> just, and it, it really kind of just shows how much of a car guy Jeremy Clarkson truly, truly is, you know, cause it's, it's very easy to get people who, um, cause some race car drivers aren't car people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just so, a job they're really good at. Yeah. You know, and so being able to identify a car doesn't make you a car person, you know, truly loving a car you know one, one of the best things i love about the interview um is uh is eric banna is talking about because after spoiler alert he wrecks his car um and uh he's talking about i don't know if i'm going to fix it and stuff like that and jeremy clarkson looks at him and goes of course you're going to fix it what are you talking about why you know, you're out of your mind of course you're going to fix it so, anyways, um, but yeah, the, apparently the, the the trophy is named after after Denny. Um, real so, quick, just so you mentioned up Jeremy Clarkson, I will, I will keep this short, I promise. But if you get a chance on the YouTube's, find the bit where he is is talking to Lewis Hamilton, and he's able to get Lewis Hamilton into one of Ayrton Senna's cars and out on a track. I saw that one. That was good too so good first of all the car has like a thousand horsepower i may be exaggerating but not by much a stick shift and not very much downforce and the look on lewis's face before he starts driving and after he gets out priceless 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, he just, you know, it's it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff. Um, anyway, yeah. so back, back, back to the drivers, because Lewis is a discussion for another time. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we get to, you know, to, to, to Ken Miles, and this is this kind of completes the 1966 you know, Le Mans, which is really, truly, I guess, what the what the movie is about um, is the lead up to and the winning of the 1966 Le Mans by Ford. And and Ken Miles was he he was the person who was was instrumental in helping develop the GT40 that everybody else raced, you know, getting, you know, putting it together, going through the different things. Because you have to understand, Ferrari for years and years and years, basically they just kept building upon the same thing. So we've got this, and then it just kind of evolved. And so so there was this, you know, so, so, so the P3, P4 was truly an evolution of, of, of a race car that Ferrari had developed over the years, the engine, the chassis, the, the whole, the whole thing set up was truly this evolution. Right. Whereas like the, like GT- the yeah. Whereas the GT 40 was creation. Yeah. It just up, clean sheet. Yeah. Ground up clean sheet, nothing really based upon or anything like that. A true creation. And there's a lot of, a lot of stepping stones and a lot of uh, tweaking and stuff like that, because when you're putting, you know, let, you know, t- take away the, you know, the smaller engine when you're putting this huge seven liter, just torque monster of an engine into this car and you've got to send this thing down as quickly as possible with, you know, kind of an afterthought to safety <laughs> um you know having a good driver um you know is is really important um now now the history of ken miles um first off he was british very Ooh, very british I, I change yeah yeah no longer a british colony or what used to be a british colony um actually british um so he uh, he he raced motorcycles a little bit, um, but in World War II, he served as a tank commander in the British Army. So, woohoo! That was that's kind of nuts. Um, uh, after the war, you know, he raced uh, Bugattis, Alfa Romeos. Um, he then, um, you know, for Fraser Nash. Um, he did move to Los Angeles, um, and he, uh, he got into SCCA, um, where I guess he won 14 straight victories in an MG, um, uh, yeah, um, in an MG based special, uh, of his own design and construction, seeing a pattern here. Um, he, uh, 
let's see here. Uh, it was very successful. Or no, he uh, in 1955, he designed, constructed, and campaigned a second special based on MG components that was known as the Flying Shingle. <laughs> uh, it was very successful. Um, and uh, he raced the Flying Shingle at Palm Springs in late March, uh, finishing first overall against veteran driver uh, Cy uh, Yetter, um, also in an MG special. And a novice driver slash James Dean actor uh, in his Porsche 356 Speedster. So uh, that is funny. Uh, Miles was later disqualified on a technical infraction because his fenders were too wide, uh, thus allowing uh, uh, Yetter and Dean to get bumped up to first and second. Hmm. So anyways... Um, some some more uh, driving and stuff. A uh, little thing happened with the 24-hour Le Mans in 66. Um, uh, but also uh, the 24, uh, the 12 hours of Sebring and the Daytona, the, the 24 hours of Daytona. What's interesting is, is that he would have been the first driver to win all three, to win the 24 hours of Daytona to win the 12 hours of Sebring and to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. So, you know, it's just, right. and, and I'm Bruce, sure. It, Bruce got it instead. Yeah. Bruce McLaren got it instead. And Bruce McLaren, actually, I, I saw an interview with, the, you know, you know, or, or somebody was talking about the fact that Bruce wasn't happy about that. He, he was very kind of frustrated about the fact that, you know, he, Miles didn't get it. So, yeah. so anyways, um, so, you know, he, uh, yep. So, yeah, so Miles, and, and it was kind of interesting um, because in the, I think in the movie, it's going to kind of show, you know, Ken Miles, you know, kind of being brought into Carol Shelby's world for the GT40, uh, which isn't exactly true. Um, you know, he, he hired him in the early 60s. Um, Ken Miles uh, helped develop the Shelby Cobra. Uh, he also helped develop the first Sunbeam Tiger. Um, and uh, he also helped, uh, of course, develop the GT40 and also the Mustang GT350 which is arguably um, considered one of the best actual cars uh, to come out of the, the muscle car era. Because even though muscle cars look really cool and in a straight line, they go, you know, like bonkers and they can do these huge burnouts and they, you know, this really loud and just, you know, just everything. The GT350 was the, the actual race car it was the car that could really actually get out there and handle so i thought that was interesting yeah. for the time it was still on leaf springs in the back but yeah for the time it was still an improvement over everything so, else that was out there you're absolutely right but it's just it's 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 funny if you ever get a chance there's a i've read an article recently from a guy who just happened to 
stumble into for, like for a friend of a friend. He got to drive an original GT350. This is like a year, a year or two ago. Yeah. I ran a racetrack and he said it was really different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you learn to really not trust what the rear end is doing. It's uh, it's 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 it'll go spongy and then it'll almost like buck, like it hits a certain point, like a certain suspension set, and then decides doesn't like it yeah. anymore, and then the back end comes up a little bit, and you never know quite what's going on. But compared to everything else at the time, it was amazing, and those I mean, yeah. cars look great, especially that white with that dark blue, you know, all the dark blue graphics and stuff on it. Oh yeah, Just spectacular! That sort of creamy white. Beautiful yeah. car, you know. Regular Mustangs wow. are worthless. Like you can get a regular Mustang for a couple of grand because they made so many millions of them. But a GT350, stratospheric. Those are way up there. That's that's like yeah. that's almost Copo Camaro territory. Yeah. Um. So, Ken Miles' death unfortunately came. Um, they were developing. He was in the Ford J car. Uh, which to be um, <laughs> easy buddy easy I know, I know the late. yeah but it was it was supposed to be the mark three or was developing the mark three and stuff um and and it did show some um some potential and stuff um so they decided to um kind of try to test it and um, he was um, at a top speed of over 200 miles an hour um, when the car just suddenly just flipped and caught fire and broke into pieces. Um, Ken Miles was thrown from the car um, and so the problem is, is that um, they they were trying to develop this honeycomb construction that they thought was going to hold the car together, um, but it, he it, it it was it didn't work. I mean, it failed catastrophically. Um, so they were able to they were able to go to um, basically just kind of, you know, go with what you know. And that is this big, huge roll cage type of uh, setup, uh, just like they would do in NASCAR. Um, and actually, um, the, uh, the, the steel roll cage uh, in the Mark IV, uh, which was a mandate uh, directly from Miles' death, um, there was a crash at the 67 24 hour Le Mans, uh, with Mario Andretti, um, who states that that roll cage was what saved his life. Hmm. He had a very similar kind of accident, um, you know, as Ken. So, well, if it saved one and, you know, and that's what it took after we lost one, at least we didn't lose another. Yeah, um, I I know that there were 
you know, some, some Ferrari drivers. Um, I just, I don't know who they were. The problem is with when it comes to Ferrari is that uh, Enzo was not, he, 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 he wasn't too upset by drivers getting killed and injured in his cars. Um, you know, it, it's one of, one of his nicknames is, is the executioner or whatever it is in Italian. Um, yeah. So, you know, Ferrari drivers were kind of, a, you know, by the dozen. Yeah, he cycled in and cycled so, out. Yeah, exactly. You know, and a lot of people that, you know, that drove in the GT40s also raced in the, you know, in the Ferraris and stuff. And so. And then finally, at some point, I don't know what year it was, but finally some of the drivers started to say, no, we're not going to race for you anymore. Like, it's just people started putting pressure on, on Enzo in a couple of different facets, as I understand it, that basically said, look, it's almost like you're actively trying to kill the drivers the way these cars are built. There's absolutely no regard at all for their life. And if they can't survive, they can't finish the race. You know, and he just never seemed to really genuinely care. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure deep down inside, he, he kind of, he did care. I think he just kind of looked at it as, well, you know, this is just kind of, you know, the, this is just what, part, part of, of part of racing i mean i mean you know enzo had been around for decades and decades and i mean just think of the number of the number of car drivers you know that he saw die yeah you know you know and and when he was racing cars were a lot slower yeah they were even less safe but they were a lot slower when he was racing for alfa romeo yeah so he didn't really truly understand no, no, so he was it. never on track in cars that were doing 210, 220 miles an hour on a on what on a on a modified public road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so all right. Well, I that's a podcast. I, I think that's a podcast too. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's. I, I, I think they'll bring up, you know, some other people and stuff like that, but I, I can, I can understand them, you know, when you're trying to put, you know, a script together and try to put a story together to, um, you know, to kind of figure out, you know, okay, we don't need this whole cast of characters in there. Um, right. You've got to have a you focus. Know, all, yeah. So, you know, let's, let's, let's focus in on people and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so we're, um, we're going to do this one and then I think we got one more podcast, which we'll try to figure out, um, in between now and when the, uh, <clears throat> when the film comes out. Yep. And just and, as a way, uh, it may or may not be a Lamar flavored podcast. We haven't quite figured that out at this point. Uh, we'd rather do something interesting than try and stretch one more Lamar podcast out. But if we find something compelling, then that's what we'll do. Um, and one last thing, just one little takeaway is the general gist I've gotten from the early previews on the film is do not look at it as a documentary drama, uh, uh, dramatized, look at it as a really enjoyable film. You know, don't take what's necessarily what happens as factual and just, 
just enjoy it for what it is. And the other takeaway they said is please, please, please see this in the movie theater. The sound of the engines is unreal, and you deserve to hear it in a really good setting. Do not yeah, wait for I, this one unless you have a private movie theater of your own. And if you do, invite me over. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I wa- oh yeah, me too. Yeah, don't forget me. No, I, I, I watched. Um, they, they, uh, they had the entire cast up there, and they were talking about it. And, um, and one of the things that was interesting was, and I think it. it and, and I'll have to kind of take a look at it and, and put all this in, you know, kind of in place and stuff like that. And that is the, the, the director, the producer, um, and the main actors who were like, look, I'm not a car person. I, I, I don't really own a lot of cars. I don't, I'm not really, you know, just enthusiastic about cars or anything like that, but I loved the story. I loved the, 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 just this this thing that they had to do you know to to fight against all odds you know to make it happen and so forth um and and i think i think it's really nice because if you if it had been a car person i think they would have focused too much on you know the actual you know, just nitty gritty nuts and bolts of it. The minutia, absolutely. Yeah, which which I think would have ended up being a little on the boring side, but they did make it, uh, they did put an emphasis on making sure that the racing was truly um, represented. Um, I believe they said that all of the effects are practical. So yes. when you see a car flipping end over end, that's a car flipping end over end. Yep, no CGI. It's not CG. Yeah, it's no CGI or anything like that. It's just all filming, and I and I I think that's, uh, you know, it, it's it's truly remarkable that they were able to get that all accomplished, and I just can't wait to see it. Absolutely. I so agree. I agree. Yep, that's a podcast. All right, we'll see you guys. Room, next room, time. Matt. Good night.